and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're going to kind of do a part two based off of our last pod where we were talking about Incident Command uh, ICS. And we're going to extrapolate what ICS is and take it to the next step. Is like, how do you apply that? So we have some really special guests. Steve, let's go ahead and introduce them. Yeah, so we have um, for a return engagement, um, Tammy Richter and John Badcock from South by Southwest. Tammy is the Vice President of Event Operations. John Badcock is the Festival Operations and Safety Manager. And they have brought with them one of their smart friends, that is Chrissy Gilbert, um, coming to us from Newcastle, England. Um, Chrissy described herself when we asked her as a freelancer who works with control rooms. So we're going to resume the conversation that we started last time because, frankly, we covered a lot of turf, but there was still a lot more to cover. Um, So so let's do a quick recap of what we're talking about. So, John... Give us a, a little summary of, of ICS and then let's talk about how we apply it. Yeah, certainly. So uh, obviously last time we talked about uh, this, these concepts called NIMS and ICS. NIMS, the National Incident Management System, uh, and ICS, the Incident Command System, which are uh, kind of a, a structural system and a framework which uh, especially public safety in the U.S., uh, used to sort of respond to, um, you know, incidents, emergencies, things that, you know, that go wrong, be that a, you know, a, a quick thing, like maybe a, a shooting or right the way through to like bushfires and things that might go on for, for wildfires that go on for days and days. So, um, but that can also be applied in the events world, especially where you've got to work closely with public safety uh, as an event organiser and sort of coordinate and, you know, take some of those principles and, and sort of be compatible and, and slot into their organisation. And as we went through talking about it last time and some of these ideas, sort of like the, the job roles, the positions, the functions, what people are doing, the scalability, all of these little org charts and boxes, um, what we didn't really touch on, and we all realised chatting after the podcast, uh, was we we hadn't really looked at it in practice. And one of the key parts of it in practice uh, might be how a, a control room and how that organisation actually functions um, on the ground and you know how you set up before and how all of these different teams and all these job titles and all these concepts coordinate so whilst uh, you know what we're talking about today a control room or a command post or so on uh, isn't you know the, the whole piece of NIMS ICS it's a function of how people actually work together and, and coordinate. Okay so you already referenced the fact that different people call this different things uh, it has different acronyms depending on where you're working uh, it seems to be also you could have multiple command or control spaces, you know, so you end up using all the names. So don't get too hung up on the name as we refer to it interchangeably as command center or control room or something like that. We're, we're talking about a physical place where event operations are being managed. Right, Tammy? Absolutely. And, okay. And- yeah, they, they can be referenced as as different things, but they can also be running simultaneously. So like there could be a command center that's operating on the side of public safety or the city, and then the organization, the event organization can have its command post with representation in each one, and they're both communicating with each other. Right, so obviously this is why we're talking about this, because it, it can get kind of complicated pretty quickly. Uh, so Chrissy, you said you help set these up. Where do you start? That's, that's how do you do this? How do you do this? 
Um, so you're sitting on a green field. What happens next? So I guess you probably go back a bit and it's part, they're usually in the UK part of your license requirements. So you have to have a control room space and then who is present in that is agreed prior to building and everything. So um, that's when that point is decided. In terms of actually we've turned up and we've built it, I've usually requested everything that we want in advance. So it'll depend on the size of your show, but it is what I like. A, a dream control room is CCTV fully up in there with multiple big screens, a CCTV controller, enough desks for you to have your, secu your on-site security present, your on-site medical present, and then yourselves. Then if you've got like a resident or a community phone line, we usually like to have that person based in the control rooms as well. Um, depending on the scale of the event, you might find in the UK that you've got local police, fire, um, an NHS like ambulance representation, local authority, um, they'll all have desk space in the room as well. And then from an event side, you'll usually have at least one controller and then at least one logger. And then usually you've got senior event management represented in the room as well. If not all the time, they'll be in at peak times like ingress or regress. Um, and then obviously you need to have somewhere to make a cup of tea. So that's usually- <laughs> It's extremely important. I, I would assume restrooms in proximity are also important. Yeah, usually, usually um, I like to operate with a base station and as grim as it sounds, uh, close enough that your wireless headset will still work with your base station so that you're not mm -hmm. answering, but you can at least listen to see if there's a major incident happening while you are doing that vital bodily function. Um, and then having enough, um, having it close enough to site that you are easily accessible for people that are on site but also somewhere around the perimeter of your site so that if you do go to a major incident, you can get your blue light services on and off without them being caught up in ingress or egress traffic. Right, so you're not in the incident, you're in Very close proximity. So I wanna go back to what uh, one of the terms you used. You used everyone would have a controller and a logger. I can make some inferences as to what those are, but I, I come from a sort of a theater world. Um, can you define that both for me and our audience? <laughs> yeah, so the way I like to operate is I'll work myself as the controller. So um, I'll be the person answering the radio and working out the res resolution. So dispatching or moving people on. Um, and then you'll have someone who literally writes down what's been said and the actions you've done. Um, big shows have the facility to have a logger. Smaller shows, often you have to log for yourself. And sometimes I've done a few shows where actually you work as a controller and you have two loggers. So one logs radio comms, one logs in the room comms. Uh, depends how you like to work with your loggers. I find that your relationship as a controller with your logger is about uh, as tight as a relationship is with your partner because you they literally need to know exactly what you want to happen without speaking to you. Chrissy, let's unpack that thought. Um, why? does the relationship between the controller, the person who's actually in charge of the control room or command center, whatever it's called, why does the relationship between that person and the person who's logging incidents have to be as close as you describe, which sounds quite intimate, why? Because they're the person that stops you going to jail. They're the person that details on the control room log what you've done, why you've done it, like the emphasis on which words um 
it's they need to not interpret what you've said but detail exactly as you've done it because if you have to stand up in a court of law what they've written down is what you've done whether it's what you've done or not they've detailed and documented it as such so i've seen incident logs from command centers in the u.s <clears throat> in an ideal universe first i see some recordation that an incident happened then ideally i see a deployment of someone or some several people to respond to that incident then hopefully sometime shortly thereafter i see some response from those people describing what they did and then hopefully some remark that the incident has been resolved somehow or another chrissy gilbert in your experience is that more or less what you want to see or did I miss some steps? Um, no, that is, but I would probably want it documented maybe like 20 or 30 times more. So it's not just like it, like I like to work as in, so I've dispatched medical to a scene. I want to log that medical have arrived on scene. Medical have received that message. Medical are requesting further support. Medical need security to attend. Then we're security have been requested security are on scene security are creating a cordon security are clearing a path to the med center medical have advised patient is breathing medical have advised patient is not breathing active cpr ongoing and literally your log entries don't need to be chapter and verse it can just be medics advise active cpr patient not breathing not conscious and just and the key thing is getting your time stamps right so you don't want to spend a minute writing all these words and then entering it because then suddenly the timestamp with that text is a minute out from what's actually happened. You want to say, breathing, done, 2100. Not breathing, 21, 15 seconds. Um, and progress it like that. One of the key things I find is really good conversation to have with your logger before you start is about the language that you want to be used in your log. So my personal preference is it needs to be non-emotive language. It needs to be really factual and unopinionated so it's like I'll always ask my loggers don't say this has happened you weren't on the ground so you don't know it's happened you need to say security control has stated xyz uh, event control informed of by person so that you all we are doing is relaying the information the controllers to me are a conduit for smooth running of events and for key decision making but ultimately you're sat in a cabin or a marquee and you don't have eyes on so if you see it you're only seeing it through cctv so it needs to be as seen on cctv then the detail and if you don't have that conversation with your logger before they start especially if you've never worked with them you don't know like how that work's going to go and how their language is going to transfer um, another thing I've found as well is I had it on a show I did for John recently. The logger came from another show and used a lot of abbreviations. So they would use things like IP or Papa Oscar. And it took me a minute to be like, all right, yeah, what she means is police officer, IP injured person. And so creating a little key in your log that's like agreed abbreviations that you're both going to work to. And especially so that in six years time, if someone calls you up to go to court for that incident, you're not trying to rake back through 50 events going, what abbreviations did we agree to? Because you've written them down, they're in there and you move forward and it's in there. Um, I think probably a better description for how a controller and a logger works would be like a production manager and a production assistant or a tour manager and a production manager. They're 
once you find a good one, you don't ever want them to leave you. Um, like I recently found an amazing one. I think Tammy, you worked with her in Saudi, uh, Francie, like I'm just like, just, whoa, need her all the time with me. She just gets it and we work really well together and it's been brilliant. Yep, she's wonderful. She's great. I'm, I'm stealing her actually. <laughs> no deal. <laughs> So you guys so, worked on that offline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You work That's out your relationship discussion here. Um, so this almost sounds like a, a very specific skill set. Christy, how did you get into that aspect of live events? Uh, into control rooms. I basically said about 12 years ago to a client who I was just starting out in festivals and I said, I really like the look of a control room. Can I go and have a go at it? Um, and this would have put me in my early twenties and they were a really supportive client. They were like, yeah, absolutely. They threw me at site, event management, tour stuff. Let me have a go at everything. Threw me in the control room and I loved it and just have worked in there since. Um, and just have keeps kept progressing really. Um, I think the one thing for me though is, um, and I work across lots of different elements of live events. So I don't just do control rooms. I work as a site manager, I work in event management, I do advancing of festivals, I go on tour with bands, I've worked in venues, I've worked in arenas, I've worked in thousand cap venues. So I've really, I get, I've had a good understanding of all of the different elements. So when you then go into a control room, for me personally, what I enjoy is someone can come to us with a problem and I might have got a good knowledge for here's an interim fix because I know it's going to be an hour before I can get someone from the site team to you or do this and actually having that real understanding of what needs to be prioritized above other things which for me personally has only come from doing the other work across yeah. events all, all experience builds on itself yeah it's really about you know being a generalist a, a good controller is a generalist over you know and has a little bit of knowledge of all kinds of uh, things that are happening at an event and i want to point out too you know, that, you know, event control, comm center, whatever you want to call it, isn't just limited to like a, a green site or uh, a arena or something like that. Uh, we're the Event Safety Alliance, so we cover all kinds of events. And so this applies to events such as a conference, which, you know, John and I are very uh, uh, versed in. And so, you know, in our uh, control room, you would have uh, a little bit of a different uh, type of person in each position but at the same time serving the same sort of function. So instead of having uh, specifically like medical and security and things like that, although we do have those things, we also have somebody from uh, programming that's in there. If we have to make programming changes, uh, we have somebody that's in there that's just specifically doing lines so that we know how to uh, manage our queues in our different venues and make changes and, and uh, dispatch resources to help with those lines. Uh, so each control room can look a little bit differently, but overall, it sort of functions the same way. Tammy Richter and John Badcock, I, I want to ask you about what you see at South By or in your other gigs, since I know you both work other gigs. So Chrissy Gilbert just described a process, which sounds like it yields a, an incident log that is free of adjectives and has very short statements whose timestamps are accurate. That sounds great. Is that what you're seeing? 
As someone from Texas, that's probably the hardest thing I have to try to accomplish in my life is short sentences. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's what we would like to see as well. You know, we don't have a lot of time to sit there and write paragraphs with a lot of great adjectives about what's happening. We want facts. We want it to be to the point. We want to know who is calling that in. Um, A lot of times, you know, it'll be the an actual person's name that's calling it in. So if we do need to go back and reference that later, we can. Um, if we have to ask more questions, we can. Um, and, you know, it's it's important just to be able to, to have accuracy. And it's always important to have a resolution, like Chrissy said. You know, the way our logging systems usually work, um, we've worked in several of them, is basically, you know, you have to make sure that you close out that incident. Um, and if you don't close out that incident, most you know platforms that we're using these days either has a human or a technology uh, type reminder to tell you, hey, this is still active. What's going on with it? And, and to the point of things being active, I think there's, as as Chrissy and Tammy mentioned, that review process and looking back on stuff. But actually, in a in a control room where you might have multiple different uh, agencies or departments represented. And if they are all on the same logging system, to go back to a ICS buzzword of sort of situational awareness and common operator picture, everybody in that room doesn't have to be yelling across the room of what they're doing. They can look at that screen if they're using a you know an effective instant management or log system to have that idea of what else is going on. And it might be that the incident that's happening on one side of the site isn't relevant to them, but it's useful that they know about it because in an hour's time, it could be very relevant to them. There's been a traffic uh, collision off site. It hasn't affected our ambulance routes yet, but if the traffic backs up in an hour's time, it might do. So we can start looking at contingency routes and getting maybe any ambulance drivers briefed up on, this is the route we might be flipping to. And it just allows people to be looking ahead a bit more by having that awareness of what everyone else is doing. And I think having that awareness is is another huge benefit of having a control room. You know, not only are you hearing everything that's around you, but if you're trying to determine the resources to throw at something, you can quite literally use your swivel chair and turn around and talk to the person next to you who might be medical or who might be uh, security and have that really quick conversation and determine what's the best route to take in terms of throwing resources at whatever incident is taking place. Chrissy, as the controller, and apparently as, you know, the best controller in the UK, (laughs) is that what you do? I mean, do you literally swivel your chair to see other people in your control room in order to, you know, bark commands or find out information? Yeah, I would probably say, uh, like, communicate with the rest of the team in the room as opposed to about commands. But yeah, definitely. It's really important to be able to like see the faces of the rest of the people. So COVID has has added huge challenges with the fact that everyone has to wear masks. And it's even just some stuff that's basic as the room can get quite busy and loud. So the last few shows I've done, I've noticed like you would normally like touch someone like on their shoulder or their elbow and be like, I need to talk to you because it's so loud and you don't want to add to that, but you can't do that with social distancing. So it's been, that's been a curveball of how do you do that? But yeah, even just things as simple as, oh, hang on, there was two police in this room a minute ago and now there's five, what's going on over there? Like, you know, are they just coming in to get a cup of tea or is an incident happened that we need to be aware of? Um, and just sort of reading the room and it's all about the relationships that you build with those agencies. 
and I think John will probably, I'm not sure what it's like for you guys over in the US, but sometimes here you're brought in as a freelance controller and you come in on like the Wednesday or the Thursday, your show's on Friday. So you've got 48 hours with external agencies where you build a rapport and a relationship and you present and you're representing the client and the festival with the, their stakeholders and, and you have a short time to do that. And so being in the room, being present, being physically be able to go to their desks and talk to them is like, it's absolutely vital. Well, I, I'm literal minded. And so <laughs> I have, there's a shock. Um, I, I have in my mind, you know, an image of, you know, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise and, you know, you're sort of sitting in the captain's chair. And I know that that's not accurate, but for our podcast listeners, yeah, it's somewhat accurate. It's yeah, okay. It is, it is. I, I, I was getting a very Star Trek yep. bridge. They, sort have, of they idea. have swivel chairs. They on have the swivel bridge. chairs, people at different stations, their screens. I mean, oh, I, I would love it if every control room had a swivel chair and you weren't sat on a Samsonite for 12 hours, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it, it, that it actually is, is what it looks like, isn't it? Well, yeah. the way I like to have a control room set up is you CCTV all on one wall. And then, then yeah, usually it's like a horseshoe shape of desks with maybe some spurs in the middle. You pick where you want to be as your controller based on what type of show it is. If it's going to be a heavy security one or a heavy medic one, you might want your medical team closer to you so you can have better comms face to face. If it's going to be heavy with like... Um, local issues or potentially substance issues you might want to have your security and your police close to you so you can have those conversations quickly and easily um or if you work really well with your or not if you work really well you can get rid of that bit when you have to work with your uh, like local authorities or your licensing team and there's a few shows i work on where they sit right next to me because we're very we work really closely together but there's other ones where they don't even want to be in the room so it really varies show by show and county or license in borough so, so i want to go back to something you said there it's like if the show's gonna be you know this, this how are you as the controller informed of that you said you show up you know two days beforehand Who, who's doing that how is that information getting to you how, is it going to everyone in the command room is it so, uh, do you mean by like what what the level of risks are or what yes the, the risk, the risk assessment the yeah and yeah, it's usually, I usually get it in like a briefing document from when I'm like in, in ahead of going on site, there's a whole bunch of documents I always request to read. So it's like the EMP, I want to read any of their standard SOPs, like their vulnerable lost persons policy, their ejection policy, um, all of those things. And then a couple of the clients I work for produce this wonderful document that's basically it's a control room overview and it's like a headline briefings for the show includes all your operating times includes who's going to be present in the room. I'm at the point where on all of my shows, they usually consult me now, even as a freelancer of how I want the room laid out. So like I'll be having the conversations now for shows that might be in September for how do you want the room laid out and where do you want people to sit? And we'll work together to work out what's best for them, knowing that they know the stakeholders and what I think will be best for us operationally during the show. Mm-hmm. And Tammy and John, is that similar? Or you guys are developing that stuff to give to them? Uh, d- depending on role, yes. Often trying to communicate the stuff, do you know calls, and it's just keeping that communication going so people aren't coming in fresh on the day. I think from a 
there's kind of that also historical knowledge but there's there's nothing better than walking into a control room where you see five or six people that you've done that show with for three or four years and you all know each other and you're all in that same kind of thing where you've all got that historical knowledge and um Christy I'm sure you can think about this but there's times when you like you can almost look across and go do you remember what happened two years ago on the Friday night when we flipped to that route and they go yeah yeah, yeah got it and you don't have to go for that briefing so keeping that continuity of people in the room from year to year and um, you know, and, and building up that kind of rapport is is very important because it just saves a lot of unnecessary communication and explaining when you've you've got that kind of, you know, that institutional knowledge built up. And I think you know you have to kind of step back in and look at the show itself. You know, how how long is the show, for example, and what sort of resources will you need throughout that show? You know, obviously, you know, with the main show that we that John and I work on together, it's it's a couple of weeks. And so, you know, we're not getting just one weather report. We have a station in our comm center that is dedicated to just weather. And we have a meteorologist that we can pick up the phone and call at any time. Um, you know, additionally, we have, you know, just we have resources on the city side that, that we can work with. Uh, we have people, again, the continuity that have some historical knowledge about our event. Uh, we have a lot of different kind of communications that, that we can put out to different people and utilize in order to get the information that we need to run things smoothly. Even like ticket scans, being able to see the, the ticket scans and the eat uh, on the ingress, giving you an idea of how many people are in your venue at any given time and what the flow rates are. I mean, all those little bits of data are extremely helpful in determining, you know, how you allocate resources and how you would react if something should take place. I mean, let's let's play out that particular example because it is relevant to what we're seeing now, where crowds are behaving in ways that you know the event professionals did not necessarily anticipate. So, taking your ticketing example at face value, what if you're sitting in the command center or control room, and the ticket scan information suggests that it's an earlier arriving crowd than you or the security people anticipated. What would you do with that information? I mean, depending on what your resources are at the event, I mean, you could start reallocating people to the front gates, you know, to handle the, the change in the egress pattern that you were expecting. I mean, that would be the simplest, you know, you know, there could be some other things that complicate that, but, you know, that would be your initial reaction. So the answer is you do something with the information. You do something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what specifically you do is going to be fact specific. You know, it'll depend on a lot of circumstances that we don't have here on this podcast. But the point is, there's a lot of information flowing into places where people such as Chrissy Gilbert or you, Tammy Richter, and you, John Badcock, there's a lot of information coming in with which you can make operational decisions, even if they weren't written down in a plan that was created weeks earlier. Is that more or less right? Yeah, and I think, um, just to add to that, I think if you're only working out, using the example you gave, if you're only working out that your audience is turning up earlier based on your scan counts, you've already not got a very good operational control room because you've missed the opportunities to see that at probably half a dozen points because you should have seen it from your external event team. Like, oh, actually the buses, the transport, 
it's busier than we expected. Then you should see it on CCTV if you've got CCTV. Then your gate managers should be radioing to tell you, actually, the, the queue lanes are, are, are like busy, we're really full. Um, so there's, and the point of a control room is that all of those people who wouldn't normally talk to each other, they feed in their one isolated problem to you in the control room. And then you as the controller goes, hang on, these six things, all unconnected, all lead to, we've got busy gates and we've got a earlier walk up than expected. And then you get your scan count to actually back that up. So you, it kind of is an example that really emphasizes the whole point of a control room and how it fully functions and works prior to actually being informed of the solid facts, you've got more people turning up than you expected. And Chrissy, I think that's a fabulous way of describing the role of the control room or command center. It's part of a risk management system. It is not necessarily the first part. It's going to depend. Um, you know, there will be parking attendants if it's a you know, event where people are primarily driving up, there will be parking attendants who will be the first people to notice how early arriving crowd it is. Or, then, or maybe your traffic control out, out on the roads is, is who notices that, you know, they're having to manage traffic lights an hour before they were planning to. Yeah. So that's fascinating. All right. So this is what I'm taking away so far. First of all, it's a physical place that you put people and the people that you pick to be in the room are based on the event profiles and who you need to have in the room to talk to. And they can include law enforcement and medical and event operations and any logistics that you uh, need to have, depending on the scope of your event. Also the technology to support all those communications, not just in the room, but to monitor the site itself and to communicate with the stakeholders that are out in the world doing the things. And then one thing we haven't talked about is the, the top of the food chain in this room, which sometimes is called an incident commander. I think I've heard other titles as well, but that's the one that sticks in my brain. Can we talk about that role? And is that, the controller is communicating to the incident commander. All right, teach me stuff, guys. To, to kind of straddle <laughs> the Atlantic between the US and the, the UK terminology, the in the US, the incident commander, certainly from a public safety point of view, is more likely to be the person on the ground managing the incident, uh, whereas the control room would be taking more of a strategic view of do we need to keep the show going? Do we need to close this area? Do we need to, you know, what's the big picture of what we need to do? And then the instant commander is getting it done more on the ground. And I think to, uh, and Chrissy can probably elaborate more on some sort of practical examples in the UK, but in a, say, you know, the control room's running normally, you wouldn't necessarily have anybody from the senior management, you know, the, the actual event itself in the room. You know, they'll be close by, but they wouldn't necessarily be tied down to the room. Should there be an incident, you'd expect somebody senior from the event probably to go to the incident and somebody senior from the event to go to the control room. And they form the kind of that bridge of, of the senior management bit of somebody on the ground overseeing all of the 
agencies responding and somebody in the room who can take more of a um, you know a big picture view and consider the the knock-on impact of the other elements of the show beyond just where this this one incident's happening. So control room is is nerve center to go biology mm -hmm. <laughs> and the brain kicks in and puts a little bit more control in when something goes haywire somewhere. Am I yes. closer? Yeah, there'll be a threshold. And again, to that planning process, there's that threshold of, uh, you know, of conversation with whoever is running your control and your controller or whoever it is uh, of if X, Y, and Z happens, that's when we'll need a, we'll need a call because it's gone beyond just normal. It might be, you know, the, to, to use the, the kind of the age old medical example, because there's a patient who's not breathing. If somebody scraped their knee, we don't need a call. If somebody's broken a leg, we might need a text, you know, a bit later on. If somebody's not breathing, that's very much a, like a, everybody is kind of mobilized at that point into some kind of a role. So again, that's where you're, you're planning, you're understanding the event and that relationship between the, the people in the room for the medical person to know, to say to the controller of, oh, by the way, thinking outside of just my lane, you need to know that this is happening so the controller can then trigger all of those kind of next level of actions that need to happen. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to reframe these things into ICS is, what, is why I keep asking these questions. <laughs> so, so again, you know, the controller and the people in the room are handling n levels of incidents and they know when to escalate, not just to respond, but up above as well, yeah? yeah. Right, because you know, the, you know, as the event organizer, we're going to be handling all types of, um, you know, operational incidents that are taking place, you know, throughout the event footprint. You know, with the goal being that we're trying to keep our operations going, but also if we neglect to to deal with the incidents that are happening, they could escalate into something bigger, and then we have to call in, you know other resources. So it's knowing, you know, what we can handle and what we're taking the lead on and when to escalate that to somebody else. So I think a really good way to put to to maybe explain in the control room, everything, every department feeds up to their controller. So to their security controller, all the security on the ground, feed it up to them. All the medical people on the ground, feed up to their medical controller. Everyone in the room, feeds it up to the event controller or the event control room manager, whatever title that one person's been given, they feed it to them. And that one singular person in the UK, at least, they are the person that decides, is this being escalated to senior event management? Do I need to call an ELT meeting for, for this incident? And then they're the person that escalates it up. And so it's all horizontal comms, then up vertically to a one single point in the room who then decides, does it go higher or not ELT so over here do you John I don't know if you have this in the US but basically ELT is is called your emergency liaison team so they are your ah. core people who attend and so over here you'll usually have between three and six scheduled ELT meetings where all of those stakeholders turn up and we all just hash out where we're at give an update any concerns and they're usually the people that are out operationally on the ground and then your event controller will go and, or your ELT, your event control room manager attends that meeting as well. And then they disperse. But if you have an incident, you will call for your emergency liaison team. So for example, 
if you have a show stop, you're calling your emergency liaison team. We've had a show stop. It's in this space. I need to have an ELT meeting at event control, or I need the ELT team to attend stage one. And then that, and then they start res resolving the problem on the ground in support of control and vice versa. Back to an ICS point, I think yeah. that's to be clear when you say, you know, it goes up to the controllers and so on. That's a communications flow. The, the command lives within that ELT team who, you know, to my point of like somebody senior needs to go to the stage, to the medical tent, to the front gate, because something there needs to be some on the ground decision making from a senior person. But it's that flow and maintaining that flow of information and that situational awareness up into the control room. And then the, the controller is functioning as a, in a sense, a kind of a, a clearing house of what needs to be escalated uh, and what the control room and the event just, you know, continues to run on. And then when you end up with incidents like that, the best thing possible is when you are all using the same login software, because what will happen is rather than the person that's gone on the ground to resolve it, they're not then feeding the information back down and be like, oh, I've told security to do this, I've told that. The security person's like, can be, oh, we were told by the senior event manager on the ground to dispatch people and they log it and you're all on the same log so you can see it all be in action together. And then you all get the, it's one report at the end of an incident and everybody's contributed to it. No one's times are out because someone else's laptop was wrong. You're all using a, a web-based system. So everyone's on the same time stamp because it's all going back to the same server. It's not someone on their dodgy old laptop who's four minutes out. So th this last part of the conversation, I think is super important. So I'm gonna briefly underscore it. Uh, John Badcock, you actually said what I was going to ask. So is it fair that the controller or the, the person who is managing a command center is basically directing informational traffic as opposed to making a you know, show stop decision or a decision about redeploying security guards. Is that an accurate distribution of labor? It really depends on the show. There's some shows where you can function as, um, the best is some shows will call you the event controller, but you're part of the event management team. So you have an authority to make decisions to a certain level without having to get senior teams involved. So you can redeploy, you can move people left and right. But then on other shows, they just want a conduit for information. They want you to make no decisions and they just want people to be take the information and escalate it to an event manager. Um, it depends on your experience as a controller. It depends on the experience of the event management team. And it really depends on the size of the show and how integrated in that team you are. So that is the perfect segue to my next question. So we've mostly been talking about bigger things. How do we scale this down? What does it look like when we're talking about your 1,000 seat venue or your, your small street concert or whatever it is? John, your hand, I see it. Well, I was, I was just going to say, it's, it's again, to link back to ICS, where we all started the idea of scalability, and it's this, what does the show need? And I think we've talked about people in the room. One of the things we've maybe missed in talking about this is usually channel one on your radios is the event control room channel. And it doesn't matter if you're guest services or 
you know, somebody who's a, a litter picker, just picking up cans out in the field. If you see something that doesn't look right or there's somebody collapsed in front of you, you're not twiddling through going, who do I call? You can just call that yeah. control room and they can then filter and pass it to the appropriate team. So that first channel, or maybe it's your last channel or something, there is one channel that everybody knows if I've got a problem, I see something isn't right, that's where I can hop over to and kind of report this in. To, to, to your idea of a, a smaller scale thing, it's still for me that one of the key things is having that single point of contact of, you know, I'm, I'm the one person in the box office and there's something a bit weird going on. I don't have a control room. There's not a control controller as such for my box office team. But knowing where to call that in and knowing that that person who's carrying out that function of, you know, channeling communications to make sure that is passed to the, to the, the correct people. And hopefully that person isn't necessarily... Uh, in an ideal world, not doing lots of other line management duties. They're not also serving on a bar or something like that. It just needs to be one person who's identified as the person who can direct that inquiry. I think we kind of talked about this a little bit last time too, is, you know, you know, safety in numbers, right? There's usually, you know, all kinds of people that are working your event, no matter what size it is. If they at least have know who they can contact to report something that's not right, see something, say something, um, then you, you, you've scaled it, you know? And so though you will be able to take action, you'll be able to do something to resolve the incident or whatever it is that is going wrong. I think as well, um, so I used to work in a, a arena over here and our control rooms would, we would always have security in them and we would always have a controller. And that would be, even if it was just like a little 500 capacity conference, um, even when we actually, we did, we did one summer, we did a bunch of uh, exams for the local college. So we would have exam tables out on the whole floor and all the local college kids would come to sit their English GCSEs or English A-levels. And we would still have a controller in for that because at the end of the day, one person coming into your event is one life that you are responsible for ensuring they're safe. And so you should have a, you should have your control system in place to make sure your actions don't cause there any harm to them well i mean that ties it so neatly up in a bow uh right there thank you that was that was actually beautiful um so if you guys would like to email us our email is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org we do have the event safety summit coming up in march we hope to see you there either in person in Lidditz, pennsylvania or virtually depending on how you want to come uh you can go to our website eventsafetyalliance.org and find us there. Uh, so final thoughts, you know, if, if, if you had to elevator pitch this, how, how would you elevator pitch control rooms? Tammy, let's start with you. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I don't know how I ever did an event without an event control room. It really actually organizes your event in such a way that you can identify, you know, Areas that need support, it helps you to resolve incidences before they become emergencies. It allows for better coordination of agencies. You know, it just, there's so many different things that a control room will allow you to do to ensure that your event is running smoothly and that you're, you know, doing the, doing what you can to ultimately have a safe event. Um, I just, I can't, you know, I can't emphasize enough the importance of it. John? I mean, yeah, to, to build off what Tammy said there, but you know, when you, when you put on an event, 
your job is kind of running that event. There's lots of things that need to happen and lots of things that you need to attend to that don't relate to necessarily the safety or security or operational side of your event. You've got other things to do. By having that control room, you can you can go off and do those and know that you've got competent professional people running your event who will call you when there's a problem, but that also allow you to get on with doing the things you need to do. And it's, yeah, it's a, I, you could say at the lowest level, it's a peace of mind thing that somebody's watching your back whilst you're dealing with the headliner who's kicking off about their dressing room or something or all those other things. You know you've got those group of people who are just tasked with that singular task of keeping the event running and letting you know when things sort of get out of hand or become a bit untoward or, you know, stray beyond the boundaries you've set for what normal looks like. And Chrissy? I think the, I would say an event control room is fundamentally the, like the core of your team. They're there to support all departments across, an entire, across the entire event. Um, and then should anything go wrong, their sole focus is to help support a safe resolution to that incident. And they are always approachable and always supportive. So they're just, I don't know, I don't know how events existed without control rooms because how do you coordinate doors when you're on the ground and all you can see is the three foot in front of you, you need to know what's happening across your entire site. And your control room is the connection between all your gates. I think that would be the sentiment for just about everybody that's been had experience with a control room is like, how did we ever do this without it? When I joined the event industry two decades ago, one of the first lines that was meant to be funny was, we sell the dream, but live the reality. To me, the control room, the command center, whatever it happens to be called, is one of the very most real places that we operations folks do. You know, otherwise you're drinking from the fire hose. There's way too much information coming in. This is a way of processing it and doing something constructive with it. So I have enormous respect for you know, the three of you guys and for everyone else who is part of working in, you know, that environment. So thank you very much guys for joining us today. I actually understand this a whole lot better than I did when we started. So hopefully our audience does as well. Um, thank you again and stay safe, everybody.